Nulamur is a force to be reckoned with, and the sea knows that. Nula's earliest memory is of jumping off her father's fishing boat in Dingle and swimming back to shore. Since then, she has swum in some of the coldest, most remote and most dangerous waters in the world, from the Bering Strait to the Drake Passage. After years of marathon swimming, Nula struggled to balance sacrifice and achievement. Her work-life balance, coupled with caring for her father, forced a change in her pathway, and she turned to ice swimming. Nula believes everyone is capable of greatness, whatever shape that might take. Her incredible memoir, Limitless, talks about her initial dive into the world of marathons and triathlons and how she eventually came back to her one true love, the ocean. I travelled to Dingle just before Christmas to meet Nula inside her beautiful little linen shop where we talked about her drive to constantly challenge herself from scuba diving to swimming and the world's current fascination with cold water. So I'm talking here to Nuala Moore in her gorgeous shop in the middle of Dingle on a busy, a busy Saturday night. So Nuala, tell me just first of all how you got involved with the sea. Um, I think a lot of people go swimming, but for me the sea has always been a way of life. I grew up in a fishing family, my father, my grandfather on both sides. Uh, my grandfather on both sides have been involved in fishing. And in 1939, my grandfather, Ned Moore, with members of my family, took one of the biggest uh, fishing boats from Dingle to Killybegs in 1939. So over the decades, a lot of the Moors came back down to Dingle. So for me, growing up as a child, I would have spent my I suppose my youth sitting on the back of the window waiting for daddy to come home from fishing to run down to tell mammy to put the spuds on and then on a Sunday we would jump off boats jumping off piers you know if you fell between boats you wouldn't tell anybody for mm-hmm. fear that you would be killed yeah. not that you would be killed if you fell in but it was but by your be killed. exactly so for me the sea always has been in my life and a way of life and do you remember learning to swim or was that just kind of osmosis mm. Um, it's interesting. We have a, a beach called Slodine where the dolphin was for over 30 years. Yeah, and Yeah, fungi. And interestingly enough, um, I do remember jumping off the pier there. And I remember thinking, right, if I can just get up because you go down and you have bubbles and you can see the white and you just grab onto the seaweed. But then we were very lucky and it is something now that is so huge again. But Irish Water Safety used to work off Slodine. So when I was probably six, seven, eight, nine and ten, I did swim one, two, three, four, survival, um, all the water safety courses up to the um, the adult courses. But because we were young and we were always on the beaches, we would do them again every single year. So for me, learning to swim was as much um, part of the summer because we were blessed with the courses that were there. And so tell me now, I your book is out and um, I know the book starts with um in the early part the triathlons and yes. getting into those and then it moves on to the the ice swimming so tell me a little bit about how you got into i suppose competitive water events <laughs> for what well i suppose term. i've never i mean the word competitive water events wouldn't be something that would apply to me mm. um I found a trophy at home the other day. It was 1979 and I won it for swimming off the pier in Dingle. 
So at the time we were brought out on a boat and we jumped in and we swam to the pier. But we always decided before the race who would get the trophy. Mm. And we always felt that it was important to spread the trophy out. <laughs> and when I started doing distance swims, I would set up a swim from Coon Pier to Ventry Pier. And that was back in the 90s because I swam with the Kingdom Masters in Tralee, um, but not in a competitive way. So I used to swim on a Saturday, Sunday from Coon Pier to Ventry Pier, which was a two kilometer swim. And I loved being away from the shore in 19. 19- on your own now? Yeah, but, you know, it would be in an angle type. Yeah, okay. I would always be measured. But yeah, I would. And sometimes I would ask someone to come with me. But yeah, I would. It wouldn't bother me. OK. Um, and at that time, I suppose things were different. When I was, say, probably nine, ten years of age, I swam from Slaudine Beach to Beanbon Beach around by the lighthouse. I think you talk about that in the book, do you? Yeah. Was that when you were following your, your My brother and the boys, yeah. yeah. And the thing is, that was something that we always did. But we were always told where the risks were, mm. how to go from point A to point B. But I remember when I was swimming from Coon to Ventry at that time, I convinced a friend to come with me and she was saying, oh, I can't, I'm not able. And I was saying, well, I don't really understand. What do you mean? If you can swim, like at what point are you not able? <laughs> so that concept bothered me. But you have to bear in mind, in 1990, I started scuba diving. 1994, I became a paddy professional. So from 94 onwards, I was teaching scuba diving, which is backward rolls off boats. Um, and I was also a professional. So therefore, the deep water, all of the excitement was part of my life. Um, I convinced a friend of mine, Marianne, to come with me. Her husband then came in the boat. And then I convinced two more friends to swim from Coon Pier to Ventry Fear. And then we swim back. So for me, going off to do a 4K or a 2K or a 5K was what you would do if you had time. And I never understood this competitive world. So when people want to go faster, my concern is, would you not want to go further? Mm. So if you want to get out quicker, surely you would want to stay in longer. And I've always had this strange battle with, I suppose, what is success? What is achievement? And Mm. where is competitive? For me, competition is trying to get more from yourself in the environment. So I think everyone has a different as a different vision of competitive. But then when you got involved in the triathlons, mm. um, I think there was a point where you met the girl and she said, I'm going to beat you. Oh, and then yeah. all of a sudden you were pummeled into this kind of competitive yeah. zone. And you were like, I never even thought about having to yeah. race somebody before. No, I never did because it was so fascinating when Courtney, you see, when I set up the triathlons, I went down to the King of the Hill in Kinsale. There was 128 athletes. It was 2002. I think it was the first or second year it ran. They were all really focused triathletes. But I always backed myself. Like I was a really strong swimmer. I cycled the ring of Kerry like for a day out. Um, <laughs> you know, we'd trot around Slayhead on a summer's evening and stuff for cake, you know, 40k on the bike. Couldn't run, didn't care. So when I was exposed to that, that troubled me with this focus on winning. Mm. So I set up my own events and I talk about it in the book where we went back to Ventry and I invited 28 friends who were now swimming with me uh, for years. And I kind of said, look, will we just do a triathlon, bring your bikes? So we walked back the beach. I had a concrete block and a boy and we decided to throw it in here. So we all decided where the swim route was. We put our bikes there. We rang the guards. I was part of the Irish Coast Guard. So we got the Coast Guard involved. We had marshals and we told everybody there were 28 people doing a triathlon. And it was the best crack ever. 
But, you know, the interesting thing is that we finished. Nobody ever looked at the time. We just went off for sandwiches. Yeah. And as time passed, I developed the Seven Frogs Triathlon. Now, it was a very successful event for over 10 years. Mm. But I used to really focus on the people who finished last, ensuring that everybody clapped at the end for the very last person. Because it takes a lot more for certain people to present to an event than it does for other people to finish. Yeah. And I think that was the ethos that brought it into me and all of my swim events that I organized for over 10 years. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people did their first big long distance event with me because we had the seven hogs, the massacre swims in Valley David. Um, and, you know, a lot of people did their very first deep water swims with my events. But our focus was always putting a lead swimmer out the front, the weaker swimmers in the middle and a good strong bunch at the back. And we would herd people along, always ensuring that everybody made it. Yeah. So I don't really understand this concept of somebody wanting to beat anybody. Mm. So coming back to your point, when I was exposed to Courtney saying, I'm going to whip your ass, <laughs> I thought, oh, mother of God. But it wasn't that I wanted to beat her, but I really struggled with her point. Um, and I did want to get ahead of her, but it never dawned on me that somebody could have beaten the two of us. Yeah. So I never really looked at the big picture. Now, I did break the world record. Yeah. But that's beside the point. Um, yeah, competition is healthy, but it would always be like, why could I not be better than you? But not. I don't want to beat anybody. I have no interest in it. And do you time yourself now? When, no. no, never. Never. That's fascinating because I think there's hardly anyone goes into the water anymore without a watch. But you see, for them. what? But you see, if you go in and you I have... I suppose they're competing against themselves, so are they? No, but you're not. I mean, mm. you know, for a lot of people, you can swim in a confined space yeah. where you have an expected outcome. But then there are days when I when we swim around Ireland or in a lot of our swims. And this is what, what I struggle with at times, Siobhan, is that when you have a situation that a swimmer goes in and the tides are different, you know, and the wind is different and you go in to swim a mile and you are unable to achieve that mile at that time. It's not that you're weaker. It's that the tide is stronger. Mm -hmm. And unless you're aware of that, your entire swim plan is gone. And I see it often with triathletes who are training to swim 750 meters or a mile or an Ironman two point, whatever. The argument is if they have an expected time and you press your button on your watch and the tide, the wind, the conditions are different, you can exit that swim broken. Mm. Like mm. you can come out and say, oh my God, I was four minutes slower. But did you understand why? Yeah. In the Bering Strait, a lot of people struggled with the fact that at one point we were hit by all these counter currents, which is not uncommon around islands, especially like in the Blasket Sound and those, mm -hmm. where you have a situation that it took 27 swimmers six hours to swim relay two kilometers. Now, there is not a lot of swimmers in the world would view that as achievement. <laughs> However, the common objective was the team had to complete the distance. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go home and tell your friends and family, I swam solidly for 15 minutes and swam 10 meters, a lot of people wouldn't view that as any way towards success. But you put the swim in context mm. and that's the difference. And that comes across very clearly in the um, chapter about the swim around Ireland, mm. because I think 
you set off quite naively thinking every day was going to be the same and you very quickly were <laughs> dispelled of that myth because mm. you came across some really treacherous conditions, especially on the West Coast, I think, was it? Mm. Well, the South Coast, yeah, the yeah. South Coast as well. And I think a lot of times, you know, you look at an event and the difference between the Round Ireland swim and a lot of other swims, for a lot of swimmers, they're going into a one-day event. Mm. You know, you might have challenging conditions for one day. But when there's an accumulation of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, up to 14, and you're doing four, between four and six hours every single day, and that's backing up, you're getting weaker, the miles are getting longer. And it's not necessarily that, you know, the miles technically are getting longer, but as the tidal conditions change. Down the East Coast, the water is light. You know, it's fast running because two, two countries are beside each other. It's like shooting north-south, south-north. When we turned Tusker Rock, you're heading west. So the tide is still running north-south. And that's why, you know, swims are coming from Baltimore in to Fastnet and out and stuff, because tides are running north-south. Mm. But if you go west, you're crossing the tide. So the tides become slower. Therefore, the swim that was now 18 to 20 minutes for the fast, for Ian and Tom, and for us, maybe 25, 30, we're now 50. But you're reconciling that your swim is now going to be five to six hours every day instead of three to four hours. And then you're backing back with 18, 18 hours on Zodiacs because we were up to 20 miles off the south coast because of the tides. Um, the further out we went, the cleaner water we had to cross. We wouldn't be brought into the coast. So your mind is now accumulation of back to back immersions. Your hands and legs are smashed apart from pulling yourself in and out of boats. You're 16 hours a day on Zodiacs, which are the soft boats. You don't have any toilets. You're sitting there. There is no coffee shop. There is no physio. There is no sandwiches. You're just basically sitting there for 16 hours and a you're day. you're cold and awful because your feet are, are wet all the time. All the time. <laughs> but your body's emotionally broken. But you're in too deep to quit. Mm. So you're moving back mentally, physically and emotionally. And the challenge is getting greater. And do you think that when you came away from that, that you had changed as a person? Or was it just a matter of taking time out for a few months and then getting back to yourself? You know, I think anything that challenges us changes us. I don't think anyone came out of the last three years not being changed. I think any time you're exposed to anything that weakens you or challenges you, if you are a person of thinking capacity, um, somebody who is striving to evolve within yourself. Um, for me, what I discovered in the Round Ireland Swim was that the person that I was in that team was somebody I was incredibly proud to be. Um, the sacrifices I made on behalf of my team and the team made on behalf of me were of the highest level of emotion. The fact that when we were about to build and break and fall apart, there was a team there to pick us up. And that's the difference between one day events and events that back up. And I think for anybody who does these projects in life or commitments in life where it is a day to day trudge, bearing in mind, we had no idea when we would finish. So, I mean, for me and all of us, we were just normal working people who gave up our work. We didn't have sponsors. We didn't have funding. So coming home for us was terrifying. Like what you don't know until you turn the key in the door how much you've given up. And then you don't know if you can face what you have given up. 
So there's an immense security on being within the team. But then once you leave the team, you're exposed to all of your choices. So I think for me and for all of us, being exposed to who you are at that moment in time is a privilege. You you talk about being frozen on that, mm. <laughs> being constantly wet and constantly mm. cold. Mm. And yet you then progressed into ice swimming, mm. bizarrely, colder waters, mm. although I know you speak about the air being different. Mm. Um, why do you think you made that progression when you'd had a, a pretty tough time on that soon? It was amazing. You finished it. You achieved your goal. Mm. But it was really, it sounded like a really miserable yeah. time. And yet you did something even more challenging. Yeah, but you see, you don't view anything as a miserable time. Mm. You know, you look back and there were challenges, but you know, I mean, I would never look back as those days as being miserable. You know, like it's important that we acknowledge and recognize the hardships, but it wasn't miserable. Um, like moving on to ice swimming, that was 2006, ice swimming was 2011. Between 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10 and 11, I continued to do the swim across Lake Zurich, which yeah. was 26 kilometers. And that's not in the book. So for a lot of things, you know, I could obviously it wasn't a very, you know, because we would be writing five volumes. <laughs> but I think for me, the biggest thing is that I had fallen out of love with marathon swimming. And, you know, for a lot of people, they may or may not understand the concept. But when you're giving up four and five hours, to train, mm. you do become a point where you run out of brownie points. Um, you know, I just didn't have a lot of opportunity to stick out my hand and say, can you cover this for me? Can you do this for me? So the ice was fascinating for me because in 25 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes, I'm at home. So if you go into a swim where you spend 25 minutes or 30 minutes and you can still be at home in an hour, the pain meant nothing. It just meant that I could still have an experience which would push me back. And I think one of the interesting things, and I, you often see it with marathon runners, I presume, maybe some swimmers, you know, rocking up to do a 10K is just an afternoon. You know, people do the Ring of Kerry now nearly a lot of Sundays. Mm -hmm. So the challenge of actually competing and completing an event, I had lost that, I had lost that connection. When you go into the ice, it takes your breath away. And when I went to Siberia initially, I wanted to swim a thousand meters at zero degrees. Mm. No other swimmer in Ireland had ever touched temperatures that low. And I, you know, when people say to me like, oh, you can't do that. I, I really didn't understand the why, because, you know, I hadn't been given any reason not to. So when I immersed myself in zero degrees and anybody now that goes into very cold water, they would have ex experienced that now cold shock. But at the time, there could have been maybe 10 people in Ireland swimming in water under 10 degrees. Most people went to the pools for the winter. Mm. Um, so in 2011, uh, Anne-Marie Ward and I invited Rambark High to Ireland. The International Ice Swimming Association at that time had um, six swimmers, six men had completed an ice mile, nothing else. Bearing in mind, nothing else, no other woman. Lynn Cox had done in the Antarctic. So it was terribly exciting. It's like kind of, yeah, no problem, I'll do this. So Anne-Marie and I just were quite confident. And the one thing I think we've always had is belief. And I think when you break yourself down and pull yourself apart and, and put yourself back together again, which we had done, 56 days of back-to-back -back battles, you know, anything is possible because we didn't fear the pain. And tell me a little bit about the training 
for that. For the ice? Yes. Um, again, what I worked very closely on was understanding the impact. Um, I went to Siberia. I got into zero degrees. It was minus 33 degree air. Once I got into that, <gasps> I had never experienced cold shock. I never panic. I'm never anxious. They're not experiences that I would have. So when I was faced with something which took my breath away, that to me was, I was, oh my God, I was stopped in my tracks. And I wasn't stopped in my tracks by the ice. I was stopped in my tracks that something took my breath away. Mm, by your and, reaction. Yeah, and that mm. bothered me by my response. Um, but because I panicked. And I, I, I remember thinking I'm going to drown here because I can't figure out how to move forward. It never dawned on me to put my feet under me and stand up. Right. But I did at 150 meters. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be embarrassed to hell because my last swim four months ago was 26 kilometers. And I couldn't swim more than 150 meters. So I came home um, and I remember sitting in the bed with my cup of tea thinking like, what stopped me? Like what stopped me? And after we swam around Ireland and I had done a lot of very long distance swims, like five hours and four hours on a Saturday was, because I never swam by distance because of the sea. Mm. I used to always swim by time. And most people at the time, I remember some really good swimmers in Sandy Cove um, at the time, Finbar Hederman, they would swim for four hours or Melda Lynch, they would swim for four hours or five hours. It was never distance. Mm. And now it's a focus on distance, yeah. but it was always time. So I remember sitting in the bed at night thinking like, what stopped me breathing? And that was my focus. So I would go up into the Connor Pass, into Pedro's Lake, and I started with two minutes. And then I went to three minutes. What temperature are we talking Probably about? three or four degrees. Oh. But I'd just get in and I would just breaststroke or swim for two minutes. But I swam by time. Mm. And it didn't matter how good I felt. I got out and I stayed with my plan. And that's where I suppose the diving instructor and all of that came into me. It's like you plan your swim, you swim your plan, you plan your dive, you dive your plan. And that's it. You don't deviate because this is the plan. So I would be very, I suppose, focus driven, very methodical. And I would sit down and, and, you know, at the time I was caring for my father and sitting by the fire and recovering was just not a the pain, never bothered me, never factored in. Mm. And then as I started to ease into understanding the responses, the emotions, all of that. Yeah, I just rocked it out. Twelve weeks later, I went to not 12 weeks, 10 weeks later, I went back into Murmansk inside the Arctic Circle. And I was the first uh, Irish swimmer to complete a thousand at zero. Uh, 23 minutes at zero in control, totally and utterly measured, exited the water totally in control. And for me, that was just about figuring out the pain, understanding where everything fitted in, understanding how I am in those moments and then working on that. And what is it like to swim in that? Are you talking about slushy, icy water? Or no. is the ice cleared for you? Oh, they, well, obviously they clear it because if they leave the slush in there, which yeah. sometimes can happen in the outside lanes, but they yeah, yeah, no, well, no, they would cut you, but you, oh, we know you wouldn't feel it. Yeah, so yeah. there'd be danger attached to it. Right, yeah. and were you ever cut by ice? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that is dangerous because you, you don't have a response that you'd normally yeah, have. Yeah, but I you presume. don't bleed either. Do you not? I didn't know that. Well, it would freeze it, yeah. Okay, <laughs> <You're> wow. frozen. <laughs> okay, mm. and... Um, so these days, Nula, what are your challenges? I mean, have you got another goal in mind? Or are, I know you're talking, you lecture to mm. children. Mm. I know you move around the country a lot giving talks. Mm. I know you've worked with the Irish rugby team. Mm. 
So what is on your horizon now? What more can you do? Um, well, what more can I do? I just recently got um, some jobs done in my house that had been put on the long finger. <laughs> no, but people don't talk about that. Know, you know, we don't. That's, I know, and that's like, so important. You know, if you look at my last swim, we're talking a very substantial five-figure sum. So right. if you look at anybody who goes off to do one channel or two channels or three channels, you're looking at, say, 10,000. Yeah. So that 10,000, unless you have a very healthy bank balance or a good yes. sponsor, comes from somewhere. So I think for me, I became exposed to the cost of all of my dreams. Mm. Um, and I think COVID stopped everybody and I had a bereavement. My sister passed away a few years ago, sudden cardiac death. And I think when you have a situation um, that you're stopped in your tracks, you know, I decided, look, I need to, number one, make right my history for me. But also, you know, I need to catch up on the things that I gave up. So it's not about continuing to move forward. I mean, I love the opportunity of being able to speak to people. I suppose I've been mentoring and I suppose developing standards, procedures for the last 20 years. And, you know, my dream is always that everybody should share. You know, everyone should. I hope everybody makes it. And there's nothing more exciting than watching the glint in people's eyes when they realize that the mountain that they built is not a mountain. It's just, you know, we have this motto that you can only swim the water in front of you. You have no mountaintop. Um, a lot of people, they fear open water, they fear cold water, they feel deep water, but actually they probably fear the inability to, to self-rescue if anything happens. Mm. So for me, like I love talking to groups. I love, you know, I love sharing motivation, inspiration. But I think more than anything, I think it's really important that we recognize that we're just normal people. You know, I always came home, turned the key in the door. I never stayed any longer than necessary at events. And, you know, I came home because I had to go back to work. Um, so for me, the one thing that I really would like to do for the next few years in particular is, is just be my biggest fan. And, and, in, and more importantly, to appreciate the sacrifices I've made um, and just to build back a little bit of comfort in my life that I gave up because we all do. Um, we have to understand that the sacrifices we make are real. So Nuala, just tell me very briefly about the book Limitless and it has this fantastic cover of you swimming taken by a drone, I'd say. I was given the opportunity by Gill Books to write a book um, and initially the the direction was different but the book that I've completed is not the book that I originally set out to do. I wanted to give the journey about what it was like to sacrifice and in search of my own true north and a lot of people might think well what does that mean but a lot of times I look in the mirror and you know I suppose the one thing that I really feel is we have this duty of care to own our own swagger and over the years with the highs and the lows and the events and the back-to-back -back pushing and the extreme nature of where I went, I just wanted people, I suppose, to come through the journey of what it was like to sacrifice everything and the challenges that face us when we come home. Mm. So for me, it is the journey through all of the events, mm. but it was more importantly for me to put my legacy in print that if anything did happen, that people wouldn't reconcile it with just she was crazy <laughs> <laughs> and it is lovely it's a lovely book and um, I'm getting great reviews which is great yeah it's absolutely fabulous speaking of um, you know things that are good for us and right for us are, like are you surprised by the interest it seems to be very trendy at the moment you know all this cold water swimming and ice baths and Wim Hof telling you to scream when you get in and all this 
like you were doing that long before anyone spoke about mm -hmm. it. Are you surprised with that, or are you just wondering what, did it, why did it take them so long to yeah. discover the benefits? Yeah. Well, I suppose look, it's like anything, you know. There's a lot more media now. There's a lot more social media. You know, we often laugh about like we did our Round Ireland swim in 2006, but Twitter started in 2006. There wasn't any social media. You know, we weren't on Instagram or anything. Mm. And I think there's a huge amount of um, commercialized nature mm. to a lot of what people are doing. So look, I mean, everybody, if you have to monetize something, you have to create a commercial nature around it. And by doing that, you have to be able to create images. So I think the sharing of stories, the sharing of pictures probably contributes enormously to people's going in. And then when they go in, they are exposed to the benefits. So it's a kind of a it's kind of a catch 22 um, to get the picture, to get the selfie is really important. But then they suddenly realize, oh, it's not so bad at all. It really is. And I'm always fascinated on the beach. Um, people come on and say, oh, my God, that was absolutely fabulous. I feel great. And I'm sitting there going, it's freezing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is freezing like you're frozen. So like it's like, oh, my God, I feel phenomenal. Yeah, you do. But it's still cold. Um, so I do find that funny, but that's all part of it. Mm. But I will say five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, I was alone on the beaches. Mm. So it is phenomenal to see people. It is glorious to hear laughter. Mm. There is nothing that cheers me up more than seeing a group of people in the water because I spent years there on my own. Yeah. And I just think whatever keeps people happy. I go there to clear my mind. I go there to take away the clutter. Like I went there this morning because I had a week from hell and I thought if I can go in here now, I'll freeze the thoughts. That's it. And I choose when I come out. So it is. It's yeah, it is beautiful. But there's still risks attached, as we well know. Thank you very much, Nula, for joining me today. And um, best of luck. Thank you very much. And Limitless is Limitless. Limitless, Limitless is available everywhere. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Southern Stars from A to C podcast series. This episode was produced and presented by Southern Star editor Siobhan Cronin and edited by Dylan Mangan. This was the 10th episode focusing on sea swimming, so if you enjoyed it, please be sure to check out our other nine episodes with people like long-distance swimmer Ken O'Shea, four of the men behind the iconic Fastnet swim, and the incredible swimming women of Iceland. For stories like this and more, visit southernstar.ie forward slash podcasts, where you can swim through previous episodes. And be sure to pick up a copy of this Thursday's newspaper in shops across West Cork or online via subscribe.southernstar.ie. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. And we'll be back again very soon. Thanks for listening.